loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Lisa Goich. Lisa is an award-winning author and co-host of the popular Tuesday People podcast with New York Times best-selling author Mitch Album. Her memoir, 14 Days, was a National Indie Excellence Award winner and a Forward Reviews Indie Fab finalist. Her recent title, I Wonder, is a guided grief journal. Welcome, Lisa. Hello, Cheryl. So happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you. I enjoyed your books very much. So we'll be diving into into your books, but also your story. Um, I just wanted to start by quoting uh, something from your first book, which led to the to the second and and captures something very um, very resonant for me. I wonder if my first breath was as soul stirring to my mother as her last breath was to me. Yes. Uh, to be aware how your mother might have felt when you were born and that those two are related. I, I appreciated that so much. So yeah. thank you for that. It just struck me the night that I was with her. I, I thought, wow, how how crazy is it that she was there for my first breath and I'm here for her last breath? And it's just a weird full circle moment, you know? Absolutely. You know, one thing that really uh, touched me about your book and, and um, uh, I felt related to my experience in a mm-hmm. way that not that many books do is talking about death, the moment of death. Uh, as a deeply spiritual moment, uh, which of course is referred to in that quote, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I f- and I find for myself anyway, I was not sad at that moment. Uh, I was yeah. I was awestruck, um, and uh, I I had the idea that maybe that was a little true of you as well. Definitely, it was weird because I thought that I would be, you know, I was so close to my mother. Um, you know, I'm talking about all the way up until she died, I was still that four-year-old that would, you know, yank her skirt. You know, that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was attached to her. And um, I was certain that when she died, I would just go flailing over her body and screaming. And um, it was not that at all. I was shocked with myself, you know, that I really, like you said, I was awestruck. You know, I was... Um, it was such a big moment for me. First of all, it was the very first time that I'd ever been with somebody as they died. You know, um, I've attended several funerals, of course, in my life and, you know, seen people who have been deceased, but I've never been with somebody in that moment. Dogs, yes. Cats, yes, but never a human. And um, I just, there was just something there. And, um, you know, maybe we can talk about this later, but, you know, leading up to it, she had been seeing like these um, people in her room and uh, strangers that weren't even people she knew. And and I just felt like there was something really magical going on, you know, that uh, 
it wasn't delusional, you know, on her part, that there was, <laughs> yes. there was some sort of magic bus taking her to this next place. Um, and it's I, I just It's kind of unmistakable it. when you're there with someone and they're describing that. You, uh, when, you, when I got to that part of the book, uh, of course, my first major loss was my, my wife, but my mother has also died and so is my dad. And the day my mom died, she said, uh, I see them on the ceiling. And my wife said, who, who do you see? Do you see eight? angels and my mm -hmm. mother who was pretty religious and never cursed a day in her life said uh -huh. yes the little buggers <laughs> oh, that's funny <laughs> so that's funny. you know i i mean i couldn't i couldn't really mistake that i guess you could scientifically explain it somehow or another but my yeah. mother was very rationalistic and i'm like even though religious very rational Right. No, she's she's really seeing these these spirits come together. Yeah, it was really. I mean, I I believed it. You know, I mean, and I don't really know where I stand on that. You know, or I didn't. I should say. Um, so going into it, it wasn't like I was highly religious and my mom was highly religious, and we were seeing this. You know, oh well, of course this is what happens. Um, I didn't really know what I was expecting. And when it happened, though, it was just such magic. I don't know how to say it. I don't think it was. I, I just like to believe that there were people there and they were taking her away. And there she went, you know, to some other place. Um, she, uh, you know, she was peaceful and uh, at peace. And um, I just went to bed afterwards it was weird. The funeral home people came to pick her up and. I talk about it in the book, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, I didn't really want to see that part. I wanted to just remember her there in the bed. Uh, so I left my other siblings in the living room with her. It was late. It was two o'clock in the morning um, on Christmas Eve day. And uh, I just left them there and I went into my bedroom and just, you know, cried a little and cried myself to sleep. And um you know, there's what comes to my mind when you say that is that death itself is so much more matter of fact and spiritual than I expected in advance. Uh -huh. Like there's a there's a matter of fact quality there too, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what I mean. Like it was odd that I was like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. What? You know, that would <laughs> that would have not normally been my. If you would have asked me, what are you going to do when your mom dies? Uh, that would not have been on the list. I'm just going to go back to bed. But I just felt like, okay, we've been preparing for this. The book is called, the memoir is called 14 Days. So it had been two weeks that we knew she was dying, right? They basically gave us a two-week deadline and um, because she was on kidney dialysis and then she stopped. And apparently at the time, you know, when you do dialysis, um, you... Uh, if you don't, if you stop, it's it's about two weeks until you, um, mm. you know, you die. And it was right on. It was right at the two week point. And yeah, um, I was amazed by that, that they, that it was timed that exactly. Exactly. I, would you have expected, because uh, of course my experience is, um, my first experience with a big major loss was after a 10 year illness, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a very different thing than having two weeks where you know yeah. it's happening, but still that is such a compressed timeline. Um, but what struck me was that you really 
found comfort in her decision. Yes. Uh, uh, not everyone in your family, but you said, okay, this is what she wants. I'm right behind her, uh, which not everybody can do that. What do you think prepared you to respond to that moment in that way? I, that's a good question. I have no idea. Um, uh, part of it was probably that I knew my mom was in a lot of pain um, preceding her dialysis. Uh, she had really horrible osteoporosis and scoliosis. I mean, to the point where her back was completely mangled, you know, and um, I just know she was tiny thing. I think when she died, she was only 70 pounds. Um, she was maybe from her scoliosis, she might have been four foot nine at the end, something like that. Um, she she had a lot of pain for many years and she also had like gastrointestinal problems. And um, so she suffered for a long time from other stuff. And then when this dialysis came, it made her feel awful. It was mm -hmm. a terrible thing for her. She was on her 11th appointment um, where she fell. And uh, that's what landed her in the hospital. And that's when she was talking to a nurse and she said, I just, this, this is horrible. I hate this dialysis. I just, I don't want to go on like this. And the nurse said to her, well, you know, you don't have to do the dialysis. And my mom said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you don't have to do it. You can just stop doing it. And she said, oh, okay. Well, nobody told me that. And she said, well, but you understand that if you stop doing it, you'll die. And uh, my mom said, oh, okay, well, that's okay, you know? And then she said, well, when will I die? And she said, well, it'll be about two weeks. And my mom was just, okay. You know, she, she was fine with that. And I thought, well, if she's fine with her own decision when she's perfect, you know, perfectly, you know, all there in her mind, why wouldn't I be, you mm -hmm. know? Yes. It, it's interesting. Uh, I've, I felt you did a good job of high, highlighting the, the religious dilemma because the um, priest, I guess, came and you were afraid that he would say that it was suicide or, you know, that. Yeah. Um, that, and uh, that always honestly makes me laugh a little bit, Lisa, because if, uh, you know, none of those treatments did, did, um, they didn't come along with being human as God yeah. invented us, right, even exactly. if you believe in God, right? They, those are person-made interventions, but somehow if we withdraw them and let nature, quote-unquote, take its course, uh, there's a sense of sin about it. I find that really curious. Yeah, I know. And that's exactly how I felt. Well, because my brother was in the room and he was not for this stopping of the dialysis. And it was my brother who brought up, well, you know, this is suicide. And I'm, and I, in my brain went to where you went with, well, you understand that if she didn't ever start this, let's say there was no such thing as dialysis. How about all those people that lived in since forever, right? Before we had any sort of medical miracle stuff. Um, many people died from this very reason, you know? So um, why, why would this be suicide? You know, I didn't. And so then it was my brother who called the um, priest. Um, and my brother was the one who called the priest to bring him over. And I was certain that my brother was calling the priest to 
convince my mom that she'd be killing herself and it would be suicide and she wouldn't go to heaven because that's all the stuff my brother was saying during this whole thing. And I pretty much was just so embarrassing, but I blocked, I talk about this in the book. I was like blocking our priest who's been our family priest for years at our, our you know, church. And um, basically blocking him from going into my mom's room because I was afraid he was going to do something like that until he said, no, why would I do that? Like, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to give your mom a blessing. I don't (laughs) whether your brother thinks I am or not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then I was so embarrassed, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I made a fool of myself. But um, I was just so adamant about don't anybody tell her she's doing something wrong. And my mom was not that religious anyway. So, um, you know, I don't think either way that would have bothered her, but um, but it bothered me because I didn't want her going out thinking she had done something terribly wrong, um, you know, in the eyes of God and, or and whatever. Not, not to mention the friction points because you were totally behind her. I don't get the sense you and she had any friction. The friction no. points were family dynamics kind of stuff. So yeah. I could imagine you would actually... Once you once you knew the priest wasn't going to go in that direction, I was I was secretly imagining you might hope the priest would bring your brother along a little bit. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, I did. You know, and I called like I left the room and I called my sister and I called my aunt who hadn't been there. Then my aunt ended up coming over, and you know, my aunt was on board with it too because her husband, my mom's brother, um, uh died a few years earlier and he had cancer and he chose not to have any treatment. So it was the same sort of deal, right? He decided because he had had cancer and then it flared up again 10 years later. And he decided the second time around, he didn't want to go through what he did the first time around. Mm -hmm. So um, he decided no chemo, no radiation, nothing the second time around. And there were people again in our family who sort of looked down upon that, you know, I felt like maybe they were frowning on that. And my aunt totally got it because she was on board with him the whole time, you know? Um, Right. And as were we, like, I just, I felt the same thing with him. Hey, if this is what he wants to do, who wants to go through all that unnecessary stuff? If you know, it's not going to work and all it's going to do is make your last days worse and more painful, you know? It's, it's also, uh, such a unique thing to to choose how you relate to your own death, mm-hmm. and uh, it just—I have no idea how I will. I know yeah. how I relate to it now, but that's a different—that's yeah. a different uh-huh. thing by a long shot. But I personally would not want someone when I'm that sure to yeah. try to talk me out of it, or you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, that would be that awful. sure. It wouldn't oh, that be awful when that you would have be no awful. energy, you right. know. And it's and it's the end. It makes me think of this this uh, uh, group on Facebook called Slow Medicine, which is about living as well as you can for as long as you can, and then saying goodbye. Yeah. You know, that's uh-huh. kind of the realm we're in. Yeah. You know, before we get to the break, I there's a li- just a tiny little intro to your uh, your memoir that captures something for me. I want. Uh, the listeners to hear it before we go to break. Okay. It's, it's, you've got a little picture of you and your mom, and I think your dog's in the picture too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it says, this is a special little book about love and a mother and a daughter and saying goodbye. You might see yourself in this book, or you might just be here to experience the story. Regardless, I welcome you to take my hand and step inside my parents' house and share in my mother's final days with me. 
Thank you for coming. Make sure you take some cookies home with you when you leave. <laughs> I love uh-huh. that last line. <laughs> yeah, that was my mom. She was very big on cookies. And those last two weeks, every single time somebody would come over, which was often, we, you know, we basically had a two-week party for her. She was so worried about people leaving hungry that she would say, there's so much food in the kitchen. Take, take something with you when you leave. So um, I thought I have to add that to the book because my mom would insist that if you came here to read about her, you take something with you when you leave. There, so. there must be cookies. <laughs> yeah, there must be cookies. Right. There must uh, be cookies. You know, uh, obviously you were close to your mother, you know, in, mm-hmm. in her life and in your life. Um, but I had this feeling like it, it got a little specialer in that time, you know, that you were deeply aware of what you loved about the relationship. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's very precious, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I just happened to be coming home that weekend, um, not I mean, even knowing that this was happening. So let's let's come back to that as soon as we've had our break, that that moment of reckoning, because that was a mm-hmm. pretty big moment. I'd like you to share a bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can follow all my social media, sign up for my email list, and you can purchase my, there's a link to purchase my book, An Ocean Between Them. To find Lisa Goich, go to Lisa Goich, that's G-O-I-C-H dot com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. 
This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lisa Goich, the author of two books, A Memoir, 14 Days, and a Grief Guide called I Wonder. And before the break, Lisa, we were we were talking about, you know, feeling so aware of the preciousness of that relationship, as you said goodbye to your mom, mm-hmm. and just kind of being in that. I noticed in your in your um, I Wonder uh, grief journaling book, uh, I wonder why I didn't know, didn't see every moment before this as precious, never appreciated every moment that we were together. But that's really part of it, isn't it? That you don't. And death sort of puts that in front of us, what we appreciate and don't, I suppose. But for you, yeah. mostly, mostly appreciation. Well, it does. I think you, I think you just take for granted everybody that's here right now and that it's always going to be the same. And those little tiny things that you might do on a given day, like, uh, you know, taking a trip to Target with your mom, um, which might be like a normal thing, you know, like uh, lots of people do stuff like that, right? Um, that the fact that then they can't do that anymore, that, that that's never going to happen again, little little everyday slice of life things. Um, so I always like to tell people just those every little tiny moments, every one of them, look at them, remember them, absorb them while they're happening. Cause one day they're not going to be there. You know, um, my husband always says that's really, uh, he thinks I'm so, you know, morose or whatever, <laughs> you know, he thinks, <laughs> why are you always talking like that? Why do you have to talk about death like that? And I said, because I'm not afraid of it. Like I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to talk about is life. I'm not talking about death, right? What I'm right. trying to say I'm is- I'm on your page uh, totally, 100%. Yes, enjoy your <laughs> life now, you know, um, because one day it won't be here. And he just hates hearing that, like he hates it. So I said, well, then that's the way you have to do it. But I'm going to do it as, a, 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 you know, just appreciating every single moment. And um, because I don't think I did before, you know, I don't <laughs> think that's how I lived. Um, and it changed the way you lived. Speaking mm-hmm. of good transformation after yeah. big, big loss, uh, you you now carry that awareness. Uh, it's a joke in my family. I've mentioned it on the show before that my kids will say, "Mom, not everybody likes to talk about death as much as you do." Uh- <laughs> <laughs> That's another example of you know. I I find it enlivening. Yeah, um, other people find it somehow discouraging, but if we're going to be discouraged by death, we'll be discouraged our whole lives, I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, I just, I, because you can't not, it happens to everybody. Everybody's going to go through it. I think that's what I've learned. And, you know, I, I work on this podcast with Mitch Album, who is, you know, um, uh, you know, he's become a death guru <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> Um, after because writing. of his his precious and and lucky relationship uh, with with his mentor, right? Yeah, Maury Schwartz, and yeah. then he wrote Tuesdays with Maury, and through that book, you know, he's it's been twenty five years now, and um, it's taken on a whole life of its own. And Maury, had he ever known that this wisdom that he shared in these final days would go on to become you know, a play and, and books and um, TV show and win Emmy awards. And oh my goodness, I think about that every week that we do our show because our show is called Tuesday People and it's based on Maury's teachings. Um, 
I think about that all the time. But one of the things I took from this show is that appreciation of life and the appreciation of death. Um, that it's not, it doesn't mean an ending. You know, if you have, you, you have somebody that's going to remember you, you leave something behind, do good while you're here, you know, um, you know, mentor a child, mentor somebody, uh, work for an organization, volunteer. There's a million things you can do for your legacy to carry on, even without you knowing it. You know, you don't have to be Maury and have a book written about you, but you can make a difference, you know, uh, just leave something behind. I don't know. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of death. It's interesting how the people I know who have intimately uh, navigated uh, a, a death that was accepted, mm-hmm. like you and I both, aren't afraid of death particularly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm I'm mystified by the process. Yeah. <laughs> right. How do you know? How does that actually? Because I know at the very end, you're not. Most people are not busy being fearful about it. They're busy doing the work of it. Yeah. Um, right. So that's uh, mysterious. But the idea. I mean, it just is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think it is what it is. And I hope I get to see all those cool magic things at the end. I really hope I'm afforded that opportunity. (laughs) I want to see people on my ceiling. I want to see those little buggers in the room. (laughs) You know, there's a few people I wouldn't mind turning up either. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, like if, if I could pick, I have a few, if I could pick them on my list, who's going to come, uh, uh, you know, which I think that's that's also one of Mitch's books, the five people you meet in heaven, not necessarily the five people that are there to escort you to the other side. But, um, yeah, I hope that there's some fun stuff that goes on at that moment. I'm, I'm uh, well, now looking we're, forward to it. Now we're a little bit talking about your career as a comedian, aren't we? I mean, a little, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it was evident in the book to me that you were able to bring some of what you know, being able to, I, I think of humor as sort of um, taking challenging things and making them funny, you know, yeah. at its best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, for I, sure. went, I, I imagine that must have helped you in this circumstance, because yeah. obviously a challenging thing, <laughs> very yeah. challenging, but you were able to see the funny in it. Definitely. Um, well, because my mom was really funny, first of all, she was a funny woman. And uh I think when I wrote the book, I was very aware of her personality when writing it. You know, I wanted to make sure that that shined through. She had a lot of funny moments in those last two weeks um, from being awfully stubborn about a couple things to just some things that she would say and do. She was always really funny. And that's how she was known to her family. And I think just being a comedian, I was able to sort of pick out those moments and put them in the book. And it's funny because a lot of people who, strangers who have read my book that just leave reviews or whatever, they all point to that, that they didn't expect it there to be humor in this book because it's about death. And people are, I guess, reluctant to pick it up because they're afraid it's going to open up a wound or be super sad to them or whatever. And I always try to tell people, and it seems odd when I said, I go, no, it's really funny too. And they're like, what? your mom's dying. How can it be really funny? And I, you know, I said, well, just read the book. You'll, you'll see, you know, um, 
And I have to say that's a primary feature of what changed in me in those 10 years of, of living with someone who was quote unquote terminally ill mm -hmm. for 10 years is life got a lot funnier along the line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. know. It seems counterintuitive, but at a certain point, our situation here on earth is pretty funny. Yeah, it is. And I, <laughs> it is. And I think we have to look at those moments. You can't, don't forget them, you know? Um, and I know everybody handles grief differently and everybody has different um, ways of coping and dealing with life and death and everything. But try, I guess I always look at the person who died. Would they want you to go on being miserable or would they want you to see the humor in everyday living and especially in whatever it was that they left behind in your memory. You know, um, I, I guess that's how it is with my mom. My, ma my mom, I want to remember those funny things about her. I want to remember her personality. I want to carry some of that on while I'm still here. You know, uh, I try to teach it to my great nieces who, you know, are never knew her, uh, that, you know, their great grandmother. And I'm, I want to make sure that they know who she was. And I, well, and also, I get the strong sense reading your books that you continue to carry on a relationship with your mom. That, yeah. And that's different from memory in my mind. It's, it's kind of, you know, do you allow yourself to talk to the person? Do you continue to kind of rely on their guidance in some way? Um, I've, I've, I'm pretty committed to that because I don't want to lose more than I have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you must hear, I mean, you, uh, you've probably done that in your um, life as well, right? When you lost your wife, could you hear her at certain times telling you things? Could you? Still can 25 yeah. years later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a, um, I, I've said many times, you know, if I'm stuck I'm a counselor in, in the rest of my life. If I'm mm -hmm. stuck with something, I don't know exactly which way to go. I ask her. Yeah. And I and, think, and I always get a sense of, oh, go this way. See? I don't even care if that's <laughs> literally her. It's, it's us in relationship. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how I do it with my mom. You know, there's times where I just, you know, I don't even have to say it out loud sometime. I don't, it's not like I even have to have an actual conversation with her, but somewhere inside my mind, I start thinking about her and it's like, I'm zoning in on her, you know, wherever you are, guide this next thought of mine or guide my actions or help me make this decision, you know? Uh, and I, like you, I get an answer and I, I don't know. And, you know, even it, <laughs> Who cares really what that is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> In my mind, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. Guess I, I mean, I don't know what it is. Is it really her? Is it just me knowing her so well that I know that's Cueing what she into, would tell right, me? Cueing into your own deeper wisdom, you know, yeah. all the above. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But I don't want to skip over obvious to me in, in reading your uh, – guided grief journal, which has so many spacious pages in it. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, suggestions more than do it this way, which mm -hmm. I appreciated. But obviously, the grief part of your story was painful, because otherwise, yes. you couldn't um, suggest writing about 
the things you suggest uh, as oh, definitely, definitely. You know, one in particular, the the page that has a big bullseye on it and says, "Punch this page." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. But but many uh, many other musings that so many people have distilled, like, "I wonder where you are today," or "What did you learn about your loved one that you didn't know before?" Because someone said it at the memorial, for instance. You know, yeah, um, pesky triggers. I mean. I don't imagine that you were able to write that book right away. No. That book came so much you, later. Yeah. Could you tell me, you know, your your mom died at some point, and I'm curious how long it was before the, I know for me it was like six weeks before I really felt the loss deep in my soul. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's about the same. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Because I didn't really feel it right away, you know, and it's, it's funny because in my guided grief journal, I I wonder the the second book that just came out, I, um, I start with day one, you know, uh, and some people may not even be picking the book up until month three, you know, so day one can simply be the day that you start this journal, or it can literally be day one of the day that this person died or the day after the person died. Uh, It can mean whatever, you know, to you. But uh, that first day for many is really difficult. You know, the first, let's say the first day you wake up after they've died, right? And you wake up thinking, you know, sometimes it's sort of like going through a breakup or whatever. When you wake up in the morning and you think things are still the same and then something hits you and you're like, holy moly, that person's gone. You know, you, you forget. And, uh, I think that's often what day one brings to so many people. But to me, it didn't necessarily happen that way because day one for us was Christmas. Uh, Well, Christmas Eve, because we did go to sleep that night. So it was December 24th. And, uh, you know, we had to try to think about what, what are we going to, what do we do today? It's Christmas Eve. My aunt invited us over to her house. So we went. You know, uh, and we all talked about my mom and we had a lovely night. Uh, The next morning we woke up, it was Christmas Day. Weird. My mom not there. Uh, And then a couple days later. So surreal, right? Yeah, it was very surreal. And then a couple days later was her funeral. And so it's odd to have it at that time of the year when all this cheer and joy and everything else is happening. So I I didn't really have the space to think think that deeply about what was really happening until later when I could get back into my life, get settled a little bit. And then one day it just sort of hits you, you know, and, Mm. and then you start feeling it deeper, you know? Um, And I still do to this day. And I think that happens to everybody just because somebody died six years ago. doesn't mean that you're going to be, um, you know, ah, well, I'm over it now. You know, something will happen. (laughs) I don't even believe in that personally. Yeah. At least not for me and most people I know. No. There's, there's not getting over it. <laughs> no, no, never. Because it always creeps up at some point and comes up or, you know, somewhere you're going to have a moment uh, and those moments are expected. So I always tell people, just ride them out, you know, do what you have to do to get through them, you know? Um, well, and in that way, you're referring to the painful moments but everything we're talking about is is a part of it, in my view. 
uh, I would say I have more grateful moments about having had that relationship now than I have painful moments when when it hits me again that she's dead. Yeah, you know, uh, the balance of things has changed, mm -hmm. but not the not the ingredients. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Is that true for you too? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I have way more. I mean, it's not often that I even cry over my mom anymore. You know, um, I, I get sad, of course, but I, I don't know. There's just something that tells me she's somewhere. She's here. She's, she sees me, you know, I don't know. I, I just often feel like she's here, whatever that means, you know, that, um, and, and when you think about it, if it's a parent, part of you part of them is in you anyway, Absolutely. biologically, sure. you know, so sure. <laughs> her, her cells are in my cells. So uh, she is always with me physically uh, and scientifically. So uh, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, um, we just take what you can from those people. And like you said, even the good moments, you know, you'll remember back fondly about somebody and, that's the best we can do to get through. <laughs> Absolutely. So I know you have siblings and you also, uh, is your father still living? Yes, my father's living. He's 99. Uh, he just started having moments himself uh, for the first time ever um, where he is actually, he was having um, delirium uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, uh oh, I know what that means. That's what happened to my mom when she started seeing the people in her room. So I got on a plane that night and flew to Michigan and stayed there for a few days with my dad. But apparently it's just what they call hospital delirium, which mm -hmm. I'd never known about. Oh, my um, mother had that very extremely. Yeah. Not, not when she died uh, a previous occasion in the hospital. Yeah. That's a serious thing. <laughs> yeah. I never, wow. I never knew about this. And if anybody here is listening, look it up. Because it can happen to young people, old people. Uh, I never knew about it. And my dad was seeing a bird in his room and it was eating crackers. And he was playing with some little girls who were helping him organize the crackers on his tray. And uh, just yesterday, my brother said, every night there's a woman that sleeps on the bench in his room with a little girl. Um, it's, you know, it, I don't know what's very happening. Intense. <laughs> my my mother-in-law uh, I'll just say this before we go to our next break, uh, had had heart surgery and she was in the hospital and the other bed in the room was empty. Mm -hmm. She said, Cheryl, Cheryl, come here. Is there a rabbit on the other bed? Oh. <laughs> she was a very cute, delirious person. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I let's, love that. Let's go to a break. And then I'd like to come back to uh, the reason I brought that up is kind of to talk about how your family changed after that, because um, there's this, this time in between the first book and the second that interests me a lot. So let's hmm. come back to that in a few, in, in a few minutes. Okay. And uh, listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief Post page. And to find Lisa Goich, you can go to lisagoich, G-O-I-C-H, dot com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Lisa Goich, the author of 14 Days, and I wonder, and right before the break, I was curious about how the loss of your mom, who seemed like a, a center point in your family, mm-hmm. um, would that be fair to say? Oh, yes, uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, how that led to, you know, did your relationships together change after that? How would you say it impacted you as a family? Well, the one thing I would say is when my mom died, home died. Like, I don't have a home anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, even with my dad, it's different than it was with my mom. My mom made home a home. And uh, it was about a year-ish after my mom died, they sold the family home and my dad moved to an independent living facility. And... Uh, so you literally lost what you yeah. held in your in your mind as home. Yeah, we lost home and the woman who made it home. So for me, when I go back, I live in Los Angeles and I they, they are in Michigan. That's where I'm from. When I go back to Michigan, I'm often feeling a little lost, you know, and I I would say my sister probably feels the same. She lives here in San Francisco. So for her to go back to kind of no place or nothing isn't quite the same as when we would go back and there was a house and in the house was my mom and my dad. And often we would have other relatives come over and it was a thing, you know? Mm, right. um, fortunately, my aunt uh, is still alive and I'm very close to her. And I would say she's like my surrogate mother, you know? Right. So I can, she stepped in a bit. huh? Yeah, she stepped in a bit. And she's always, I've always been very close to her and we're close to that side of the family. And she, you know, I go to her house, I'll stay at her house um, she's a great cook. She cooks us wonderful meals. Uh, you know, we, um, so I sort of have a sense of home, but I would, I would say that the thing that is missing most is my mom was like you said, the center of everything. And without that center, it's a little hard to find your bearing when you go back there, you know, Mm, I can imagine that. Um, Mm -hmm. my parents had moved from, well, we moved a lot when I was a kid, so there was never that that sense of place uh, mm-hmm. that I think my kids have because they lived in one spot their whole yeah. childhoods. Sounds like you had that too. Yeah, they're hugely resistant to me ever considering leaving that home. <laughs> they wanted to be theirs too. They know, wanted to be theirs. Yeah, yeah. It, it gives them a place to go. Right. 
You know, as you, I, th- I think we share in common too that a big piece of the work we do has been uh, created or inspired mm-hmm. by our losses. Mm-hmm. And of course, you haven't just written this grief journal book. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the community that you've been kind of uh, inviting by having people um, join guidedgriefjournal.com. Is that is that the best place for people to go to kind of yeah get in touch with the work you're doing now as a result of this this uh, guided grief journal that you wrote? Yeah, I think that is a really good place for them to go. I'm trying to, you know, I've been trying to create a community. We have Sunday journals. So every Sunday, uh, if you join the subscription list, to the site, I will send a prompt out. I haven't done it the past couple of weeks. I try not to like over bomb people with emails, but um, I'll send out the Sunday journal prompts and then they all reside on my page since week one. So if you go to that website and you click on the Sunday journals, you can go through those and there's a million prompts there and they're not the same ones that are in the book. They're all different. So, uh, you know, just start at one, get yourself a blank journal. I also sell journals through the website. Um, if you want a specific Sunday journal, Sunday journal, uh, you can get <laughs> one through the website and use the prompts and just start writing on your own. You know, writing is so healing. And that's kind of what I want to say about this book. Um, for me, when my mom died, I basically wrote my own prompts to get stuff out of my head. And a mm. lot of those became what this book is. So, I would say, okay, this is what I need to talk about right now. So, uh, you know, here's my exercise. Now I'm going to write about it. And Mm. I used a lot of those in this book because they helped me get over things, you know, like, you know, what are the things that, you know, I I needed to get out and do things, um, you know, trying to encourage people to go volunteer uh, and, and try to find things that make you happy. I have a thing in the new journal to make a, um, you know, a healing playlist, Uh, you know, go to your favorite platform, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you use, and make yourself a playlist of songs that, you know, uplift you or songs that that remind you of that person, you know, their special playlist so that, you know, when you take walks and stuff, you can listen to it. Uh, You know, there's a lot of ways for us to heal and remember that go just beyond our own brains. (laughs) Well, what I like about prompts myself is that they are uh, usually, in my experience, a line, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens after that is completely individual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's uh, somebody I've worked with, Francis Weller, uh, uses prompts a lot. Mm-hmm. And you'll have a specified amount of time to write. Mm-hmm. like 10 minutes, let's say. By the time you get to the end of the 10 minutes, I've been frequently very surprised where I ended up. Yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I know. It's weird because I'm taking a class right now that's like that. Uh, it's called Mindfulness and Writing. And mm-hmm. it's through UCLA. They have a um, writer's program that I'm in. And we do that often in the class. First, we have to sit and meditate on something, right? So she'll give us a thought. We meditate. And then you come out of that meditation with the thought, whatever it was, and just start writing about it for 10 minutes. Same thing. Like I wacky stuff comes out of me that I never knew existed. There's, there's something about um, writing no matter what, you know, not stopping. 
mm-hmm. that that leads very unexpected places. Yeah, that, um, it's great that that don't happen when you write in a more deliberate manner. Exactly, and that's what I try. That's what I want to do with this journal. You know, in fact, the dedication at the front isn't from me. You know, dedicating it to my mom or anything like that. The dedication in the front of the journal is a blank line for you to dedicate it to your person. So this book basically becomes your tribute to the person you lost or people you lost. It could be for multiple people, you know, or things or animals or just animals. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I know we talked about that a little before we came on air, just how big it is to uh, these relationships people have with pets. I met a woman once who had lost a lot of family members and she said, but you know, the one that hit me hardest was my dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are many people that would say that. I agree. My dog, Angie, that was, she's photographed with me in my memoir in 14 days. Uh, I don't know what it was about that death, but that hit me harder than anything I've ever been through in my life. And I think there's something about the fact that you're in charge of them. You know, you're, especially when you have to put them to sleep and when you're the one to have to make that decision, that's such a heavy decision. And, uh, it just really, um, it took a toll on me a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, I, I also feel as if pets are not complicated by personality. I mean, mm-hmm. they have personalities, of course, mm-hmm. but we don't usually take their personalities personally. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's a very uncomplicated kind of grief in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. So true. It is very uncomplicated and it's, uh, it's just pure. It's just pure love. And it's sometimes hard to say goodbye to that, you know? Uh, so don't let anybody ever try to tell you, anybody who's listening out there that, oh, well, it's just a dog, you know, or it's just a cat. It's never just that. If, you know, our, our, our animals, our companion animals mean so much to us that uh, it's a grief that's just as real as any other loss you go through. You know, Lisa, I, I want to almost even go further that the very act of comparing griefs, uh, this has been, of course, very much in my mind with people living through COVID, uh, because mm-hmm. at first people were disqualifying their grief. Well, some people have lost a family member and I just can't go to my job, you know, or whatever uh-huh. it is, all this comparison, which just clogged up the works. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's that's um, deeply true that comparing, if you're feeling your loss, feel it. Yeah. There's no comparison. Yeah. Absolutely. And don't ever let anybody talk you out of it, uh, you know, because people are so quick to say, you know, well, isn't it time that you stopped this? Well, now even even like your husband, right? Why mm-hmm. do you have to talk about this so much? Well, yeah. because it helps me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think and, you would say. And it's real. You know, it's yeah. part of life. He just doesn't want to face that. And I know there are a lot of people out there like that. Not everybody wants to talk about it, but I just think through the work that I've been doing all these years because of this book and, and then again, continuing it on with Mitch and his podcast, uh, death sort of, sort of, you know, swirls around my drain a lot. And, um, <laughs> I, uh, oh, I'm going to keep that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I'm maybe forced to think and talk about it more than most people, but, uh, don't, don't fear it. Don't let it scare you. Uh, you know, just enjoy life. That's just, the best just, way. 
You just sort of led me where I was going, which is I wanted to, you know, end with the humor a little bit that we've mm-hmm. laced through. But one thing that just struck me so funny uh, was when you when you decided you were going to get a tattoo. Oh yeah, I'm tired, and you. <laughs> yeah. You talked with her about it. Now, I got a tattoo before my mom died, and uh-huh. she was horrified. But <laughs> but she tried not to say so, but I could tell. But anyway, um, I loved what your mom said. Don't get a tattoo. You'll get hepatitis. Yeah, that's what she said. I was waiting for some, like, I thought she was going to, you know, I said, just think about something that you want to leave me with for the rest of my life. And I'm going to get a tattoo. That way, when I look down, I can always think of you. And, you know, she sat there for one second and thought, and I thought, oh, here comes the most profound thing ever. Right. And out of her mouth comes, don't get a tattoo. You'll get hepatitis. I was like, okay, that's totally my mom. So what I ended up doing was I went and got a bracelet on Etsy and had it engraved on the bracelet. Don't get a tattoo. You'll get hepatitis. I put the date on the inside, my mom's name, and there's my little metal tattoo that I just wear on my wrist now. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I'll be honest, I had the fantasy maybe you got that tattooed somewhere on you. No, I should, though. I should. <laughs> One of these days I will. Don't get a tattoo. You'll get hepatitis. Though, I that don't put it. That would be so paradoxical and ironic. <laughs> I know. But I'm so afraid of my mom's, uh, like, whammy ability. She'd give, she, she'd yeah. give you hepatitis. Yeah, I don't want to get the whammy. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to get an "I told you so" from the but, from the. But she you know. did. She did leave you with something that will always make you smile. Yes, right. That's true. <laughs> I want to thank you for being here today. I've really enjoyed it, Lisa. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. You're awesome, and the show is great. You have such a wonderful show with a with oh, a. Thank you so much. And yeah. I hope people go to lisagoich.com or the, the website for the book. Yeah, guided, guidedgriefjournal.com. Next week, I'll have Lily Doolin, author of Giving Grief Meaning, which she wrote after her infant daughter died of SIDS. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.